If you would, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 20. The whole chapter is in your worship guide, but we are just going to read the first 17 verses. Then David fled from Anaath in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, Good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. And so they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be my witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if it is well disposed towards David, shall I not send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, Show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we honor you in this moment. We declare your worth, that you're worth everything. I pray that would be clear tonight. I pray through your spirit you would come and you would speak to us, that you would be lifted up high. In this moment, I pray that my words would fall to the ground 
and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for your prayers as, um, as we went to Haiti this past week. Um, we're going to give a report on that in a couple of weeks. Um, and I just want to say, before we look at the text, that my heart is really full. Um, after coming back from Haiti and seeing what the Lord is doing there and how he's using our church and being able to send the Webers off to Uganda and Sarah Dunn's already in Uganda... My heart's full because this is actually five years we've been around as a church today. It marks our five-year anniversary, um, Palm Sunday five years ago. And I don't know how many of you were there during that time. Probably, you know, I could count you on a hand, maybe two. Um, When we began our church at our house, really just as a time of prayer, um, praying and trying to seek the Lord for what he might want for us. Um. And for those of you who were around during that time, you might remember me saying, uh, just know if we're starting a church, nobody gets the church they want. Nobody does, not even me, and I'm starting it. But we're going to get the church that God wants for us to have. Um, We're going to get the church that God says that we need. And we'll move in the direction that he sends us. Um, And so we spent a lot of time in prayer, um, praying and meeting at our house. Uh, It got a little awkward and uncomfortable as we grew a bit and had to move furniture out each week um, for our services. Um, But just seeing how the Lord just gradually started bringing in just a faithful, committed few um, that love him and love this community. Oh, we were only committed really to a few things that, that we knew we wanted as a church. Uh, one, we wanted a place where the word of God would be preached. Because God transforms people, he transforms cultures through his word and his spirit breathing life into that. And so, so we wanted to do that. Uh, we wanted to be a place of prayer. Um, You've heard me say a number of times, if we cease to be a people who pray, let God close our doors. Um, We want to be a people who engage ourselves with him, who hear from him, who kind of lean in close to his heart. And that happens through prayer. We wanted to be a a church that wasn't program driven, um, but a church that just focused on a very few things and tried to do them well. Um, So it would free up our time so we could invest in our neighbors, invest in our community, and not try to spend every waking moment inside of a church um, while people outside were dying. Um, We wanted to be a place that lived and spoke the gospel. Um, I guess if you were to say what was our vision for a church and just being the the founding pastor here, it's one of those questions I get a whole lot, you know, what is the vision for the church? And I'm always a little stumped. I don't, I don't really know what to say to that um, because I, I have 
friends who are pastors of other churches, and you know, they have this really clear-cut vision of, you know, like we're the we're the church for the, the homeless people downtown, or we're we're the church for, for this demographic or, or what. And and I don't have that. Our, uh, the vision God's always just put in my mind is well, we're going, we're we want to live and we want to preach the gospel. Um, and we want to seek God's spirit and however he leads us. I, I don't know, I can't tell you where we're going to be in five years. I don't know, but we really want to be sensitive to the Lord and his direction. And so I guess that's the vision for our church. And, and we want to be able to, to use our resources, everything, our homes, as a way of uh, reaching out to the community, our finances that you give here. Um, you know, there's a reason we meet in a building where it has dead rats, okay? Uh, and before this, we met in Girls Incorporated. Um, we spend about 3% of our budget on facility. And it enables us to give to missions and to sponsor people like the Webbers, um, the people that we have, because that's where, what we want to do. We want to be out in this community and out in the world. I'm not saying we do that perfectly at all, but it is a heartbeat of our church. Uh, years ago, about 15 years ago, I was doing college ministry, and it was growing a whole lot. And I was really discouraged um, through our growth. I, I'm, I'm weird that way. Uh, I always just wanted small. And it was really large. And everybody was just saying how the Lord's blessed, the Lord's blessed. And I didn't know if that was true or not. And it wasn't until I, I took a team out on the mission field. And we were out. Um, it was in Northern Ireland. And we were seeing people come to know the Lord that the Lord broke me just with joy. And I, I still remember that morning, I could not stop weeping, seeing the impact that that college ministry was actually having in the world. And I feel when I say my heart is full, I feel that same way. When, when I see the impact that Redeemer's having around the world and in this community, um, and that we just haven't built walls and looked inward, um, it makes my heart full because Jesus is worth it. Um, and I, I hope that in another five years, we're going on the same trajectory, all right? Um, and, and the text I want to look at tonight, um, I want to talk about what I see God calling us as a church to be, where I hope we are five years from now. Um, there's four things in this text I want to talk about how we're to be a community of prayer, a community of grace, a community of discipleship, and a community shaped by our future hope. Let's look at a community of prayer. When I first began studying the life of David, and I, I began months ago working through a number of things, something just seemed off to me. And uh, I, I had read and I had read, reread just uh, all the chapters that we have gone through up to this point. And uh, I, I, it was hard for me to put my finger on it, but just something seemed off when we were studying David. And it, it really did not dawn on me until a couple of weeks ago. And that's, you never actually know what David's thinking. You never actually know what David feels in all these chapters that we've looked at up to this point. Um, 
For instance, when David is anointed by Samuel, we know what Samuel is thinking. We know he's thinking, oh, there's Eliab, and Eliab, he's the one God wants to anoint. And God says, no, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. And we get this internal dialogue. But when it comes to David, nothing. When the Spirit of God rushes upon David, nothing is described. Other than just it rushed on it. We don't know how David felt. We don't know what the experience felt like, which is really unusual today because when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we use very emotional language, and it's completely absent there. Only the actions are there. And we know that David is a man after God's own heart, but we don't actually know what's going on in his heart. We, we only see his actions. When David fought Goliath, we're told what he did, we're told what he said, but we're not told what he felt. And, uh, but we're told what everybody else was feeling. We know that Goliath disdained David. We know that the people were trembling with fear. So we get everybody else's perspective, but David, we don't know what's going on. And it really gets unusual when we get to chapter 18, when David and Jonathan's uh, friendship is described, and it says Jonathan loved him like his soul was knit to him. He loved him like his own soul. And there's nothing from David. It's like saying that, you know, that I love you and you're getting nothing in return. That's, that's, that's the bell for the other church on the other side. Um, it, it's just really awkward. I mean, like, Jonathan loves him. Loves him. David, there's nothing. Very, very unusual. And so... Actually, up to this point, we read that Saul loved David like a son. We read that Jonathan loved David like his own soul. We read that, uh, that Michael or Michal, uh, that she loved David. She's the only woman in the Bible ever being described as having love for a man. The only one. And it's like the altar wants to put it in there so we know that everybody loves David. They all have great affection towards him. It says that the people love David. And then they get to David and there's no, no insight. There's no emotions described. There's nothing. And when Saul begins trying to break David's heart, trying to kill him, you know, he tries to break his heart by giving him a daughter to marry and then taking her back at the last minute. Well, that's got to break your heart, but we don't know how David feels. He tries to kill David a number of times. We don't know how he feels. We don't know if he's scared. We don't, we don't know what's going on. But we do. The narrator goes to great lengths to hide David's emotions for us. Because I think he knows we have his emotions in the Psalms. David pours out his heart not to others. He pours out his heart to God. And you see that over and over he is a man after God's own heart when he gets in his closet and he gets on his knees and he pours out his soul before the Lord. So even though we don't read in 1 Samuel how David felt when Saul was trying to betray him, trying to trick him, you know, one of the things he did was like, oh, you can marry my daughter, uh, Michael. I just, I just need 104 skins. That's not much. Um, those people weren't going to give those willingly. I mean, he's going, to, he's going to have to fight for these things. And Saul's trying to kill him, but it's very flowery language. Oh, yes, I'd love to have you as, as a son-in-law. 
Just do this one little thing. We, we, the only place we know where what's going on in David's heart and mind during these things is when you read the Psalms. So let me read to you Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Hide not yourself for my plea for mercy. Attend to me. Answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of my enemy, enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove and I would just fly away from here and be at rest. Yes, I'd wander far away. I'd lodge in the wilderness. I'd hurry to find shelter from this raging wind and this tempest. For it's not an enemy who taunts me. If so, I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. And so David begins just pouring in his heart to the Lord. It's like, my, it's my friend. He's, he's the one betraying with me. He, he's the one I thought, I thought I was like a son to him. And so he pours that out. And, and then we hear these things. This makes me think of when, when Saul was just saying, oh, I'd love to have you as a, as a son-in-law. Just, just get this little dowry price that's going to get you killed. We read this from David. He says, My companion stretched out his hand against his friend. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I, I will trust in you. David was a man after God's own heart because he poured out his heart before God. All of his fears, all of his anxieties, all of his burdens, all of his questions, all of his hopes and dreams, everything he just poured out to him. He doesn't lash out at Saul. He doesn't try to find allies and like say, can you believe what Saul's doing to me? He doesn't speak to others first. He speaks to God. God's the one he goes to. Later, he's going to begin opening up a little bit more to his friends, but he's always first and foremost, he goes to the Lord. And it shows exactly whom David trusted, whom he knew to be in control of his life. And it wasn't him, and it wasn't what he could do with the situation. It was the Lord. Listen, our first instinct is to go to others with our problems. I know that. Our first instinct is just to complain. But we should do so before the Lord. So one of my prayers for us as a church is that we would be a community of prayer and that during our times of pain, our times of frustration, our conversations would not first be outward to one another, but would be upward to the Lord because He's the one in control. Second, 
thing that I want us to learn as a church here is that we are to be a community of grace. A community of grace. Look at verses 14 and 16 again. Jonathan is saying this. He says, If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Now, Jonathan and David are all about making some covenants. I mean, they're, they're making covenants all the time. They made a covenant back in 18. They make a covenant like here at the beginning, here at the end of the chapter. They make another covenant in chapter 23. Um, so, so they like making covenants with one another. But this is a unique covenant here. There's an interesting word here. There's the two words here translated steadfast love. Show me the steadfast love of the Lord. That's the single word in Hebrew, hesed, which we've talked about a lot as a church. The word hesed, it's this unending, unconditional, never failing kindness and love of God towards us. That is a hesed love. It's a love that will always be there no matter what the other party does. A love that never, ever will fail. Hesed. That's the kind of covenant that's being made here. It remains immovable even when everything else falls apart. Hesed remains. And and notice here what Jonathan says to David. He says, show me the steadfast love of Yahweh. He's asking David, this is astounding. He's saying, You love me like Yahweh loves me. I want you to have mercy on me like Yahweh has mercy on me. Show me God's Hesed love. That is, that is astounding. Yet that's exactly what we are called to do as a community of believers. We are to demonstrate that unconditional, gracious, never-ending, loving-kindness of the Lord towards one another, no matter what the other person does. And we could do that because Jesus is the one who has demonstrated that love to us perfectly on the cross. We did nothing to earn that love. We did everything to betray His love. Yet He graciously showed Hesed love. And the Spirit of Jesus is poured in us. So that Hesed love flows out into the community of God. It's a love based not on how others treat us. It's a love based on how God has treated us. We're to be a community of grace. We're also to be a community of disciples. A community of disciples. Our call to follow Jesus is nothing less than a radical call to discipleship. Um, It's a call to sacrificially give up your whole lives, everything you have, in obedience and surrender to Him. It means you are to love Jesus above all else. And Jonathan perfectly, well not perfectly, he, he really graciously demonstrates that to us. Jesus said this, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies 
will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the exact choice that Jonathan had. He had to make this. Would he follow his father? Or would he follow God's anointed one? David. Would he leave his father's household and now become an enemy of his dad? Or would he be an enemy of David? The the, the choice was there. It was clear. What, What was he to do? And he gave up the love of his father in order to love God's anointed one. I mean, it had to be a gut-wrenching decision. And immediately when he makes that decision, I will follow Jesus no matter the cost. You know what happens to him? His dad tries to pin him up against the wall with a spear. Because when we follow God's anointed one, we begin to become persecuted like God's anointed one. Just as they treated David, Jonathan is now being treated. Just as they treated Jesus, we are treated the same way. That's the cost of discipleship. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jonathan now shares in David's persecution. One of the things that I love, though, about Jonathan is in this, you really see a calling of our church, is he doesn't abandon his dad. Jonathan is in an impossible situation, okay? He wants to love his dad, and he wants to serve David. And how can you do that? Yet Jonathan's going to die on the field by his dad, all the while serving David. He becomes David's mediator. He, if you notice, Jonathan and David, Jonathan, the friendship is introduced in kind of the beginning of David's persecution, and the relationship is highlighted again at the end of Saul's life. And what you see is that the the friendship with Jonathan kind of bracketed the evil on David. It was kind of a buffer of it. Jonathan was, was a mediator in a sense, a buffer in a sense. He kept evil at bay as best as he could. It's very similar to our calling into the world, how we're to be salt and light into the world. We're to not just to withdraw and say, I want no part of you. And we're not to just assimilate and become just like the world. We are to become... Agents of truth within a dark world. Agents of light within a dark world. Jonathan beautifully illustrates that. And it doesn't have a happy ending for him because it cost him his life. But I promise you he would say it was worth the cost. That's our calling as a church. It's not an easy calling. But it is our calling. Finally, we're to be a community shaped by our glorious future. The reason that Jonathan was able to do this, the reason he could make all of these hard choices he had to make, is because God had given him eyes of faith to see the future. There's there's some irony in this, because Jonathan actually sees David's future a lot better than David does. David doesn't quite see it, but Jonathan sees it clearly. And if you notice in this text, David is the one who's on the run. David's the one who's been, you know, like repeatedly Saul's tried to kill him. So he's the refugee here. And 
Jonathan comes to him and says, will you make a covenant with me? <laughs> Can we make a covenant so I'm not cut off forever? It's, it's like, what? wait, David's the one who's in danger of his life. And Jonathan says, he's the one who's going to be cut off. He's been given eyes to see what's really going to happen. Look at verse 14 and 16 again. At the end of verse 16, it says, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. You almost want to laugh at that point. House of David? He's already treating uh, David's kingdom like it's a dynasty. David's a fugitive. And he's like, it's the house of David. But he's been given eyes to see. Look at verse 15. He asked for David to show Hesed to him and his household forever. Forever. Where, where does he get that word from? Not till death do us part or something like that. He's like, show me God's faithfulness, the faithfulness of Yahweh to my house forever. He's been given eyes of faith to see that David's kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. That God is doing something through his anointed one, establishing a kingdom that will never end. And he wants the Hesed love of God shown towards him for all of eternity. He's been given incredible eyes to see what God is creating here. And hear me, I want us to be a community that is shaped by God's kingdom coming to this earth. I want our cry to be, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. All right? That our future glorious hope of being part of a kingdom that will never end, that that becomes the factor that shapes everything. It shapes our relationships. It shapes the way we treat our family. It shapes the way we deal with our money. It shapes the jobs that we have, the community that we're a part of. It shapes everything, knowing that the kingdom will be established and Jesus will reign victorious for all of eternity. It shaped Jonathan. I pray it would shape us. So I want us to be a, a community, five years now, a community of prayer. I want us to be a community of the gospel, of grace, that shows Hesed love towards one another. A community that is committed to discipleship and following Jesus no matter the cost. And I want us to be a community that's shaped by our glorious future. I want us to take a, a time to pray.